I invite you to turn in your Bible this morning to the book of Leviticus, chapter 23. Leviticus 23. As we look together at the feast of the Lord. Leviticus 23. There's a lot of details here. We're not going to be able to get into all of them, obviously, this morning. But uh, the Lord is just calling uh, Israel to a sort of life of celebration. Uh, These feasts are divided into two uh, primary months, so the first month of the year and the seventh month of the year. And so um, we'll see the first 25 verses of the the, the first month of the year, and then the uh, 25 and 26 and following the other, uh, the seventh month of the year. So let's give our attention to God's word this morning. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, These are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, the holy convocation, which you shall proclaim at the time appointed for them. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month at twilight, is the Lord's Passover. And on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work, but you shall present a food offering to the Lord for seven days. On the seventh day is a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest, and he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord so that you may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. So that would be a Sunday. And on the day when you wave the sheaf, you shall offer a male lamb, a year old, without blemish, as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the grain offering with it shall be two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, a food offering to the Lord with a pleasing aroma, and the drink offering with it shall be of wine, a fourth of a hin. And you shall, neither eat, uh, you shall eat neither bread nor grain, parched or fresh, until this same day, until you have brought the offering of your God. It is a statue forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. You shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, From the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, you shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwelling places two loaves of bread to be waved, made of two-tenths of an ephah. They shall be a fine flour, and they shall be baked with leaven as firstfruits to the Lord. And you shall present with the bread seven lambs a year old without blemish, and one bull from the herd, and two rams." They shall be a burnt offering to the Lord with their grain offering and their drink offerings, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And you shall offer one male goat for a sin offering and two male lambs a year old as a sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. And you shall make a proclamation on the same day. You shall hold a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. It is a statue forever in all your dwelling places throughout your generations. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edges, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. 
And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with blasts of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work, and you shall present a food offering to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Now on the tenth day of this seventh month is the day of atonement. It shall be for you a time of holy convocation, and you shall afflict yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord. And you shall not do any work on that very day, for it is a day of atonement, to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For whoever is not afflicted on that very day shall be cut off from his people. And whoever does any work on that very day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall not do any work. It is a statue forever throughout your generations in, your, in all your dwelling places. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest, and you shall afflict yourselves. On the ninth day of the month, beginning at evening, from evening to evening, you shall keep your Sabbath. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, On the fifteenth day of this seventh month, and for seven days is the feast of booze to the Lord. On the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. For seven days you shall present food offerings to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall hold a holy convocation and present a food offering to the Lord. It is a solemn assembly. You shall not do any ordinary work. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim as times of holy convocation. For presenting to the Lord food offerings, burnt offerings, and grain offerings, sacrifices, and drink offerings, each on its proper day, besides the Lord's Sabbaths, and besides your gifts, and besides all your vow offerings, and besides all your free will offerings, which you give to the Lord. On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you've gathered in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a solemn rest, and on the eighth day shall be a solemn rest. And you shall take on the first day the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It is a statue forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israel, Israelites shall dwell in booths so that your generation may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And thus Moses declared to the people of Israel the appointed feasts of the Lord. Let's ask for his blessing. Father in heaven, we need your help this morning. There's a lot of detail. Feasts and sacrifices are commanded so long ago. And so we ask, Lord, that you would help us to understand what you are saying to us in this your word, for it is breathed by God and given to us for teaching, for correcting and training in righteousness. And so, Lord, train us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we come to one of my favorite topics, which is food. I, um, as I was studying this, I realized that my most vivid memories from my childhood even uh, revolve around food. So I, I had friends in, in, as a kid. Um, uh, I had conversations with my friends. I don't remember a single conversation I had with my friends. I don't, uh, I don't even remember some of the family vacations that we took. But I can clearly remember um, the meals that mom made. Uh, what her spare ribs taste like, and the Swiss steak, and Dutch salad, and, and all the other uh, things that we had. Um, when I think about my dating w- with Joanne, um, we went places, I'm sure, we did things, um, but I don't really remember them unless a restaurant was involved. So I remember Roaring Twenties, 
uh, for those of you who remember Roaring Twenties, uh, great pizza and wonderful organ music. It was, it was terrific. Um, I remember Jeremiah Sweeney's down in Tinley Park, a great restaurant down there. Um, got, we got engaged at the <clears throat> Great Lake Shipping Company, no longer there, of course, but um, so it's, it's those sorts of events that really are vivid memories. It, it revolves around food. And while uh, meals are memorable, feasts are epic. Uh, feasts are one of the richest experiences in life. Last night, Dave and Caroline were married, and we, uh, we went to this lovely place, and uh, there were just wonderful, there's wonderful layout, and the food was delicious, and the, uh, the people and, and the celebration, it's just rich, rich um, and a rich experience. Uh, the right combination of menu, venue, and people make for one of the, uh, well, it's a taste of heaven. It's one of the richest things we experience. Uh, a, a, a feast like that is an oasis in a dry land. It's a Sabbath rest for a weary soul. It can feel like manna from heaven, just a good, good gift. The laughter and the love and the, the, the food touch the soul uh, with something so rich that it, it almost hurts. I hope you've experienced that. When you just, you just sit back and look around and say, this really is as good as it gets. And yet, um, we, we sense it's passing. We sense that it's temporary. There must be something more. And our text this morning tells us, of course, that there is something more. We're made for an eternal feast. Uh, in Leviticus chapter 23, uh, 23 God is... Uh, populating Israel's calendar with feasts and Sabbath festivals, days of rest. Uh, these holy days and weeks are meant to create a culture of worship, uh, a community of people who happily come together to rejoice in their God, to celebrate His grace and love, to remember His saving acts. Uh, these, these festivals would create pockets of sacred time in Israel's calendar where they put aside the regular details of daily life and they come to remember the things that, that deal with eternal life, uh, that, uh, the things that remind them of what life is really about and for. These festivals are also a prophetic sign that God is giving to Israel. They point to a coming redemption and a promised redeemer and an eternal banquet. Uh, Kevin Young, in his message on this, on this uh, text, uh, says that Leviticus 23 is sort of like a, one of those magic eye posters, if you remember from the 1990s, where you would uh, have a poster of just some pattern of some sort of triangles or dots or squiggly lines. It, it doesn't look like anything. But if you stare at it um, and kind of look, not, not at the external thing, but you kind of have to look through it and focus and then suddenly there's a whale swimming in an ocean in 3D. It's very cool, unless, of course, you can't see it. Then it's very frustrating. But if, if you can see it, it's wonderful. It's, it's art. It's, it's almost magic. Well, Leviticus 23 is like that. If you just stare at the dots and the details, you just sort of get bleary-eyed. But if you know what they're about, and if you focus on what they're about, you'll, you'll find they point to a person. And it, you, you find Jesus revealed here in 3D. And uh, we'll, we'll look at that as we study um, these feasts. So we're not, gonna, we're not going to... I'm not going to get into all the details of the feasts. Um, there, you, can, you can do that. 
Uh, you can read the text. It's, it's pretty straightforward. But let's just at least grab the raw data, and then we'll look behind the scene, in a sense, and see the meaning. The, the, the command begins with the command regarding the Sabbath day, the weekly Sabbath day. This is, these are uh, God's days. That was a point made uh, very early in the, in the text and again at the, at the end. These are God's appointed days. These aren't things that Israel kind of came up with. This would be a neat idea to celebrate this or that. These are God's days. And God begins with the weekly Sabbath. Um, it's a day that's meant to teach things, a day for rest and worship and to, to instruct Israel. You see, the, the seventh day is rooted in God's own creation of the world. You know that from Exodus chapter 20. Uh, for in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day and therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and hallowed it. And so a weekly Sabbath Every Saturday, you would have this, this reminder of the big picture. Uh, you see, it's very easy for us to get swallowed up into the little world of our daily lives. We go to work, we raise our family, we pay the bills, we remodel the home, uh, we plan our vacations, visit family and friends, and that's a full week. And we could easily get lost spiritually in just the day-to-day -day details of our life. And it's, it's easy, you see, then to not ask the big questions. What's it all about? What's it all for? Why am I working so hard? Why, are we, why do we do this? What, what's the meaning of it? The world around us has basically concluded there is no meaning beyond your personal enjoyment. And so just... Do what you can to get as much as you can to enjoy what you can. Well, that's a, that's a pretty shallow, empty, vain life. It's not much different than your dog. Right? That's how he lives. God has made us in his image and given us a yearning for something more. Uh, and the, this, the weekly Sabbath is to be a weekly reminder, you see, of the big picture that... <laughs> We, we have all the responsibilities God gives to us, but we're not made fundamentally just to work and make money and, and, and to have children, raise families, and, and have friends. We're not just made for vacations. It, it's all wonderful gifts God gives, but the Sabbath calls you to think about what God is doing and the rest of God. You see, if you remember in Genesis, the creation days are all demarcated by this, this phrase, there was an evening and a morning, right, the first day, and the second day, and the third day, and so on, until you get to the seventh day. There's no demarcation of the seventh day. The, <clears throat> there's no morning and evening. The seventh day, God's seventh day, is an eternal rest. You see, seven, remember, is the number of perfection in the Bible. It's the number of things, it's the number that represents things as they ought to be. God's seventh day is a holy and eternal culmination of everything good, everything beautiful, everything just and true and right. That's God's eternal Sabbath. 
And the weekly Sabbaths are God's reminder then that we're not made ultimately for things that are passing away. We're not made just to work and play and have families and jobs. We're, we're made for something vastly more. We have been created for God's eternal rest. And that was the lesson for ancient Israel. These holy days and festivals, you might notice, they're all called Sabbaths. Sabbath isn't just your Saturday. The Sabbath principle idea flows through all these festivals. It's called, they're all given to remind Israel of a coming banquet, a coming feast, a coming place and time where we enter into God's eternal rest where everything is as it ought to be. Uh, the number seven, you may have noticed, is prominent in, in um, Leviticus 23. There are seven feasts. And um, three of them are seven-day celebrations. The, uh, there are three week-long festivals that would involve pilgrimages to Jerusalem. And then there are four special holy days. And uh, let's, let's just break those down for a moment. First, the holy convocations. And the, we, as I said, they're divided into two months, the first month and the seventh month. In the first month, you have the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of first fruits, and the Feast of Weeks. That's in the first month. Passover, of course, boys and girls, you remember what Passover is about? When God rescued Israel out of Egypt, the last thing that He did, the last plague, the last judgment of God was the Passover. When, when the angel of death came over the land and God had instructed the Israelites to put the blood of a sacrificed lamb on their doorpost. And every place the angel of death saw that blood applied to the doorpost, that home was passed over. That home was safe. But everywhere, every home that did not have the, the blood of a lamb sacrificed on the doorpost was, uh, received God's judgment. The firstborn child, the firstborn son of that home was put to death. And that was the judgment that finally moved Pharaoh to say, get them out of here. Let them go. And, uh, and so Israel celebrates the Passover both as a remembrance of the grace of God that protected them from the angel of death and their liberty out of Egypt. And immediately, so that's the 14th day. On the 15th day, you have the Feast of Unleavened Bread the very next day. And that lasts for a week. As um, Israel remembers that they had to leave Egypt in a hurry, and so their bread was not leavened, it wasn't allowed to rise, and they eat their unleavened bread, it's, and it becomes a sort of a 4th of July for Israel. This is their celebration of their independence, when God set them free from bondage to Pharaoh, bondage in Egypt. The Feast of first fruits. Um, now there's some, we're not quite certain there's some debate about exactly where this goes I think this goes in the feast of unleavened bread this is the Sunday a one-day harvest festival and uh, it's at the beginning of the, of the spring harvest so in Israel you have two harvest seasons you have the spring which is the harvest of the grains first the barley then later uh, the wheat and then in the fall you have the uh, the harvest of the grapes and the olives so the feast of first fruits is the, celebrates the first harvest of the season, which is the barley harvest. And you would take your, your sheaf of barley and you'd bring it to the priest and wave it before the Lord. Uh, it is a public acknowledgement that it all belongs to God and you're trusting the Lord for all the rest of the harvest. 
Then you have the, the wheat harvest and the Feast of Weeks. This would be seven weeks after the barley harvest, right? 50 days after that Sabbath of the Feast of First Fruits, and, uh, or, or after the Feast of Unleavened Bread begins. So it's called the Feast of Weeks because it's, it's a week of weeks, seven weeks. And um, it's called Pentecost, based on the word for 50. It's also a harvest festival. And then we come to the seventh month, and uh, we have the Feast of Trumpets, verse 23 and 20 through 25. Uh, the, the priest apparently would blow uh, the shofar, the, the trumpet, the horn, and it would call Israel to a day of solemn rest. A, a, a day simply to not do any hard labor, to rest as, uh, as you remember God's saving work and, and, and your ultimate end. Rests are always pointing to what is yet to come and, and, and pointing to the fact that God is the one who makes it happen. The, 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 the point about resting, and that it goes through all these feasts and Sabbaths, uh, I think John Calvin just nailed it on this. It's not, uh, it's not simply for physical recreation or physical, physical refreshment. It, serves that, it can serve that purpose. But primarily, the point of physical rest, was to, it, was, it was a spiritual point. That their salvation is not based on what they do. It's based on what God does. And Calvin says that's why the, the punishment for breaking the Sabbath was so severe. Uh, the punishment for breaking this, if you picked up sticks and gathered sticks for a fire on the Sabbath, the, the penalty in Scripture is death. Why? Well, because the point is that God does the work. And you don't violate that principle. When it comes to our salvation, God is the one who does the work. And so this, this, this resting would be a resting in what God has accomplished. Then you have uh, 10 days later the Day of Atonement. We talked about that a few weeks ago looking at Leviticus 16. This is one of the, uh, the, the one day in the year where there's, there's no celebrating in that sense. It's a day of, of afflicting, the text says. And so it would be a day of fasting, a day of mourning, a day of acknowledging your sin and confessing your sin and then seeing as the, as the uh, remember there were the two goats, one is sacrificed, bearing, um, atoning for sin. The other, you, Aaron would, the high priest would confess his sin, laying his hands on its head and then that goat would be led away into the wilderness symbolizing that all of Israel's sins are carried away never to return. Again, all the act of God's grace. And then you have the Feast of Booths, finally, which begins on the 15th day of the month. Another week-long celebration, uh, and it's very much a celebration as people uh, remember that God kept them safe in the wilderness in booths, and that God provided for them in the wilderness with, with manna, bread from heaven, and God provided them in the wilderness with water from a rock. And so the Feast of Booths is a way of celebrating God's provision. It is also a harvest festival. Verse 39, on the 15th day of the seventh month, when you've gathered in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days. Uh, Israel's remembering that they depend on God. Remember Israel, in Egypt, the Nile River is in Egypt. All the agriculture in Egypt comes from the Nile River. And so you make your channels, you make your irrigation systems, and you depend on the Nile. Well, in Israel, there's no irrigation. There's no Nile River. The Jordan couldn't possibly 
serve that purpose. You're completely dependent upon rain. And so Israel uh, was being tempted constantly by the Baals, the fertility gods who were assumed they made it rain. And God says, no, I am the living God. I'm the one who provides. And so they would, this would be a celebration of God's provision of life-giving water in the rain. Um, this would be symbolized later on in Israel's history by on the last day of the, pre, uh, the, last day of the feast, a priest would make his way to the pool of Siloam and come back, uh, he'd gather some water, come back through the water gate, and on the last day of the feast, he would pour that water out uh, as a sacrifice, a, a thank offering. And um, we'll get to the meaning of that in a minute. So these are the feasts. So this, the first month and the seventh month particularly are full of these feasts and these Sabbath days. Now, what does it mean? Well, we know um, that they have all been fulfilled in Christ, so we no longer celebrate these feasts as we read of them in Leviticus 23. Paul will say in Colossians chapter 2, says, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. The substance belongs to Christ. So the substance, you see, of the Sabbath day is Jesus. He is God's work of salvation that brings us into God's eternal rest. So Jesus will say, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he's not talking primarily about, spirit, about, about physical rest, but spiritual rest. Rest in God's salvation. And he's the only way into that rest, of course. I am the way and the truth and the life. And so the primary purpose, uh, even now of the Lord's Day, which has um, continuity and discontinuity, with the Old Testament Sabbath, but the primary purpose of, of the Lord's Day is that we come together and we rest in the finished work of Jesus, anticipating our eternal rest in a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, Kevin Young points out that the, the weekly Sabbath was a, it's a weekly test, and Lord's Day functions in a similar way. We just stop working one day of the week, and the, the question that we're wrestling with on that day is, where, where do we look to for our earthly provision for our, and, and our eternal life as well? What are we resting in? What are we trusting in? Are we trusting in ourself, what we can accomplish, or are we trusting in God and what he has accomplished? I just saw a short video clip of a sermon uh, by Alistair Begg this past week. And he makes this point. Um, he's talking about the, the question, maybe you've heard of it before. Uh, if you were to die tonight, and God said to you, why should I let you into my heaven? How would you answer that question? Why should God let you into his heaven? And Alistair says, every answer that begins in the first person is the wrong answer. Right? Every answer that begins in the first person is the wrong answer. If you start by saying, I, I believed, I tried hard, I read my Bible, I went to church, I said the sinner's prayer, I meant well, I didn't do this or that, every answer that starts with I is the wrong answer. The right answer has to start with the third person, he. 
He came and rescued me. He lived an obedient life in my place. He died bearing my sin. He robed me in His righteousness. He purchased my redemption with His own blood, forgiving all of my sin, making me an heir with Him of everlasting glory. And by His grace alone, I belong to Him. The only reason why God should let me into His heaven is because of of Him, because of Jesus. And you see, every Sunday we gather together to profess that truth. There's nothing in us that is worthy of God's salvation. We, Sunday after Sunday, admit we can't save ourselves. Sunday after Sunday, we embrace over and over the gospel of God's free grace to sinners like us. Jesus is our Sabbath. And we rest in Him. And if you are coming to church for some other reason, trying to to make yourself fit for heaven, well, you're missing the whole point. You're missing the gospel. You're missing what God has for you in Jesus and His rest. Well, Jesus is the substance not just of the Sabbath, but of all the festivals. Jesus is the substance of the Passover, isn't he? That sacrificed lamb that was applied, the blood was applied to the doorpost, and when God saw the blood, he passed over and did not judge that home. Well, that's exactly what Jesus came to accomplish. When John the Baptist saw him, he said, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's the, one of the primary points of, the, of all these sacrifices in Leviticus is the necessity of blood to atone for sin. A life must be offered up. A righteous life. And Jesus, of course, is that life. John, uh, in his gospel, points very specifically to this when he um, tells his readers that none of Jesus' bones were broken. Why does he want us to know that? Well, John will tell you in verse 37 of chapter 19, this is to um, fulfill the scriptures related to the Passover lamb. None of the Passover lambs are to be broken. John wants us to see Jesus as our Passover. Well, the day after Passover was the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that Sabbath. Uh, And if you read the text in John, you'll see that the priest came to Pontius and said, could you make sure these guys die right away? Uh, Because tomorrow is a high day, not just a Sabbath, a special Sabbath, which, of course, it's the the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so uh, when Jesus is in the tomb on that Sabbath day, the 4th of July is already getting underway, right? When Jesus says it is finished on the cross, that means the work of redemption was accomplished on the cross. The liberation was already in motion and was going to be revealed fully, of course, on Easter Sunday, the very next day. The Feast of Unleavened Bread uh, is the 4th of July for Israel, and, and it was the beginning as Jesus fulfilled that Old Testament feast. It's the beginning of our, of our liberation. Uh, Jesus had also reve- referred to himself as the true bread from heaven. John 6, he says, whoever believes in me has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate man in the wilderness and died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. 
it isn't wonderful. That's, that's not a metaphor. It's not, it's not um, it's just sort of vague religious language pointing to something nice. Jesus actually means that if you come to him and you believe in him, you trust yourself to his work, you will never die. Not in the true sense of the word. You will fall asleep for a time, but you will live forever. That's the promise of the gospel. It's not if you come to believe in Jesus, your life will straighten out, your marriage will get fixed, your finances will be healed. It's not the message of the gospel. All that stuff may go down in smoke when you come to Jesus. But the message of the gospel is is just this one thing. You'll live forever in the presence of God, forever. What a wonderful, wonderful promise. Jesus, the substance of of the unleavened bread. Easter, of course, is the, is the feast of first fruits, Easter Sunday. It's a day for bringing the first fruit of the harvest, and, and Paul uses that imagery in 1 Corinthians 15, 20. He says, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. And so the, the, the question for every one of us is, Are we in Adam, in our sin, in our rebellion? Or are we in Jesus Christ by faith? Because those who are in Adam die. Those who are in Christ shall be made alive. Jesus is the first fruit of the resurrection. And then 50 weeks after the resurrection, we have Pentecost, the celebration of the Feast of Weeks. And of course, Pentecost is when the harvest of God is celebrated in full as the Holy Spirit is poured out and 3,000 men, and we don't know how many women and children, all came to the Lord uh, in saving faith on that day and a little bit later, another 5,000 as the harvest of Jesus' uh, finished work now begins to come in. Jesus gathering those that he died to save. The Feast of Trumpets is not spoken of specifically in the New Testament, but we know that just as the priest would blow the horn to, um, in the morning to trumpet this call to God's rest, so on that great and final morning, the trumpet of the Lord shall sound, Paul says, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and God will call all his saints into their eternal rest. A few weeks ago, we talked about Christ being the fulfillment of the Day of Atonement. Jesus is the lamb who was slain to atone for our sin and to remove them from us forever. And Jesus is the, the substance of the Feast of Booze, the celebration of God's life-giving provision and particularly water. And so when that priest would come and pour out the water on the last day, John tells us on that very day, the last day of the feast, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He said the same, a very similar thing to the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. This woman who was in her sin. This woman who had some idea of religious things, professed some religious things, but was completely caught in her own sin. And Jesus says to her, I am the water of life. And whoever comes to me will never thirst again. She was seeking to quench her thirsty soul with all the things of this world, particularly men, and it never satisfied. Jesus says, whoever comes to me will never thirst again. Are you thirsty this morning? Do you want life? We run around and, we're, and we're, we're doing what we call life, but our souls maybe 
are just quenched. And we sense we're empty and we're dry and we're not happy. We're bitter, we're upset, we're impatient, we're, we're lonely. Jesus calls thirsty people to come and drink, to come and feed on him. That's Jesus' invitation to you this morning. You see, all these feasts point us to Christ and all the satisfaction of our longings that we have in him. And these feasts all point us to that great and final feast when every unmet longing and, 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 um, and expectation will be satisfied in the presence of God. When everything will be as it ought to be. Isaiah talks about it in chapter 25. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. And it will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him so that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Friends, Jesus lived and died and rose again to invite you to that eternal feast. It's why he came. And the takeaway for us this morning would be just two things I would point you to. First, just to recognize again, this world is not our home. And all the good things that you are involved in as God gives those good gifts to you, they're all good gifts and they're all temporary and they're all passing and none of it is your life. Jesus alone is your life. Jesus alone is your life. And scripture calls you, calls me then to look to him as we live our life and to anticipate that coming day when we will be with him. There's an old hymn, some of you know it well, there is a coming a day when no heartache shall come, no more clouds in the sky, no more tears to dim the eye. All is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a, what a day, glorious day that'll be. There'll be no sorrows there, no more burdens to bear, no more sickness, no more pain, no more parting over there. And forever I will be with the one who died for me. Let that thought just sink in. Forever I will be with the one who died for me. What a day, glorious day that will be. And in anticipation then of that day, we are called to be glad and to rejoice in our salvation on this day and every day. We have reasons, friends, for joy, reasons for eager anticipation, Reasons to be glad. God has loved us with an everlasting love in Jesus Christ. And I would just say to you this morning, if you don't know that love and you sense the emptiness of your life, Jesus Christ has called you then today, through his word, Christ has called you today to come and drink of him, to come and, and believe in him, trust in him, and be invited and welcomed into the eternal banquet feast. But whether you've never come before, whether you've come every day that you can remember, friends, let's, let's be glad, let's rejoice. Let's take this Lord's day the Lord has given to us and delight 
in our God and his salvation. Amen. Father in heaven, I thank you so much that we have reasons to be glad, reasons to rejoice, for you have invited us into your eternal rest in Christ. Father, you know how tired we are, how maybe sin-sick and weary we are, how, Lord, we um, maybe have broken hearts today, maybe deeply lonely, maybe afraid. And yet, Lord, I thank you that you give us your word and you give us this day and you give us Jesus who promises that if we come to him, he will give us rest today and forever. Lord, I pray that the rest of God would be increasingly the reality of our life, that there would be not impatience. We wouldn't be frantically trying to make life work, frantically trying to make ourselves worthy of your love, but Lord, we would receive what you've done for us in Jesus as a gift. And that would free us, Lord, then to be gracious and kind to those in our life. That would free us to be thankful, to be glad, and to wait for our God and for the day that he's promised. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together, based on Isaiah chapter 25, We Will Feast in the House of Zion. Let's stand together and sing.
people said, Amen. Amen. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen.